I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Wayne. So guys, how was your week? Well, I feel like my week is lacking in Tim again. Well, yeah. But, I mean, is it really? I mean, doesn't Tim just lift right out? I mean, yeah, but it's a noticeable lift-ish. I mean, if I were to introduce the show as Aaron, Polly, Wayne, and Random Angry Guy, isn't it the same thing? I would say yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'd have a hard time disagreeing with that statement, Aaron. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think Tim is still sleeping off his Zima drunk. You know, he he had a bottle and a half last week, and, uh, you know, it's kind of messed him up. So... I think he's probably just overly angry at books coming out and doesn't read much. Ah, or maybe he got so excited because I booked ManCon yesterday. Woo! Woo! So I've got our I've got our uh, our cabins all booked. We are ready to go. Uh, less than ninety days. Uh, less than ninety days when we go to our annual purification of Paul in the waters of Table Rock Lake. <laughs> the... Don't go anywhere near Table Rock Lake because it just bubbles and boils all weekend. We have to purify you, Paul, mm-hmm. in the sacred waters. Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I figure if we hold your head under you know, until the bubbles stop, it'll all be good. Yes, this will be my first year going, so I have... Uh, new beat, new beat, of, new beat, new beat. I have all kinds of questions about what it's going to be like. Well, first... There's the baptism of Paul, and uh, you know, and it, you have to do it every year because Paul is such a notorious sinner. Really, you need to do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, our annual, our our, our you know, our second year of uh, ManCon, and uh, you know, uh, three days, three nights of, of fun, two two days of part of uh, gaming, and. Uh, Lots of cool stuff going to happen. I'm excited. I am excited. Uh! My real question is, knowing Paul's desire for privacy, is uh, how does he handle being in a building with so many people? Oh, I have my own bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) And the door gets locked every night. I don't trust any one of you. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. That's actually what I was wondering about. One of the big questions is the sleeping arrangements. Well... Um, you know, we all take, we all draw lots to see who sleeps with Paul and, uh, you know, okay. And we, and we change out each night. So, you know, there, there are, there are three different opportunities to sleep with Paul. So, but there's not much sleeping involved. Well, true, true. I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be tired the next day. I'm just saying there'll be lots of yawning during, uh, during gaming. It's like the first time you work out with a, a personal trainer at a gym. You're pretty sore the next day. And by you, I beat Paul. <laughs> poor paul poor paul why does poor this happen paul. to me and so i'm going to be purified and, and, and in deflowered the sacred, in the you're going to be purified in the sacred waters of, of table rock lake and then you know there there is the you know the ritual buggering so uh yeah, <laughs> buggering. <laughs> yeah the ritual buggering so you know, something to look forward to. We're having T-shirts made. Oh, okay. <laughs> Buggering Paul since 2015. <laughs> I don't know why that tickles me so much. <laughs> 
So I, I got to tell you, Paul and I had this conversation earlier in the week. The not about com- buggering him. Okay, I'm like, I don't recall this conversation at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, we were talking about TV. And, you know, neither one of us had watched Lucifer yet. And I I was like, you know, I'm really kind of excited about this. It looks like an interesting show. And Paul says to me, he says, man, I hope it's not any good. And why did you hope it wasn't any good, Paul? Because I already watch enough TV, so I don't want another TV show. There's a lot of TV out there to watch, right? Um, I watched Lucifer last night, uh, the pilot episode. And I got to say, as a cradle Episcopalian, uh... It is hard for me to say, please understand, this is difficult for me to say, that I love Lucifer. I, this show is balls out amazing. Uh, from every, every bit of this show is amazing. Um, I say this as someone who has not read the Vertigo comic, but the casting is spot on. The fellow who's playing Lucifer is crazy charming. The show is written smart. It's cast fantastic. has a brilliant soundtrack. It's shot like a million bucks. I mean, it looks like a major motion picture in how sharp it's shot. You know, I've gotten so used to watching CW productions, which, you know, while while good and very entertaining, always seem like they're shot on a budget, right? Um, the Fox has spent some dollars on this. And I, I got to tell you, I... It is amazing. There are many, many laugh out loud moments. Uh, I, I I love this show. I, I I was just startled at how much I enjoyed it. So highly recommend Lucifer. So you know what I'm excited about TV wise? They made an announcement this week that they are doing a Flash Supergirl crossover. You know, I saw some pictures on Instagram, but I just thought that was people jerking around. I didn't realize that that was actually something. No, it is official. The name of the episode is World's Finest. And uh, is it a crossover where there'll be one on the CW and one on CBS, or where is it going to take place? It's only taking place on Supergirl. Oh. And uh, what I like about it, because I was always uh, thinking a crossover wouldn't really work, because the world of Supergirl obviously isn't the world of Flash and Arrow. Right. Because there's no mention of Superman. But it works so well with this season because Flash has discovered alternate realities. Yeah, he's, he discovered the 52 uh, Earths, right? Yeah, and everything about this points to he's going to pop into her world for this crossover. I think that's a great idea. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I'm so excited to see the two of them on the screen because out of all of the shows that are out right now comic book-wise – those two are the two that have the the hopeful feel to them. Oh, yeah. The big superhero, people love this hero, you know, feel. And I just, I love Supergirl because it's the, you know, the Superman type feel that I want out of a show. Oh, yeah. She's definitely not Superman. She's her own hero and all that. But it is the iconic look up to this character type feel. And Flash has that, too. Plus, the two of them together, I think the actor and actress you know, would be very well together. I think they both came from Glee, so they may even know each other. Yeah. Well, you know, and it would be nice. I mean, it, it'd be a one-episode thing, but maybe maybe a little uh, romantic spark there, you know. It'd be cool. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I would also love to see him race. And, and you know, she has, she has that certain Felicity vibe about her. True. Know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I – I still don't watch Supergirl. 
I've, 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 I've never even it's, finished the first episode I, of Supergirl. It's not a bad show. It gets better by episode three. Um, yeah, there, there, there are some things that annoy me about it, but overall, I would say it's a good show. I just yeah. don't have time to watch it. It's my problem. I got, I have got eight episodes on my DVR right now. And I've always been a big fan of Martian Manhunter as a supporting character, and I like him on the show. I think they're, they've done very well by him. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, to your earlier point, Paul, there's a fuck ton of good TV out there to watch. Well, I do have Lucifer on my DVR. So, based on your recommendation, I mean. Unlike you, I love the Dark Lord. So, <laughs> <laughs> thus the purification and buggering. Um, yeah, that's right. But no, I, I I have been curious about the show, and I am looking forward to it. I've always been a fan of that type of uh, of entertainment, that type of fiction, like angels and demons. Oh yeah, and, you know, same I mean, here. I, I always enjoy the interpretations of of these uh, you know biblical biblical folklore stories. So, oh, uh, co- completely agree. Uh, the you know I, I love that kind of stuff. It really scratches an itch. But good, I could not get over how well it was done. Uh, I, I just you know from from top to bottom, it is just so well done. And I you know the 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 humor is extremely organic and catches me by surprise. I mean, like I said, there are laugh out loud moments in the show. And I just, I just, the devil should be charming and he absolutely is. So Hmm. big thumbs up. My favorite show along those lines that I don't even remember when it was out. Did any of you watch uh, Reaper when it was out? Uh, Yes. I I enjoyed Reaper quite a bit. Yeah. That was my favorite show for a, uh, I don't know the actor's name, played a really good charming it you was know right wise yeah he was yeah he is Peaks, i think yeah that is correct he just did such an incredible job with the role that he you know he really made the show well i give it a try guys it was awfully good awfully good so uh a warner brothers uh straight to video uh, animated release came out this week, uh, continuing in the series that we have enjoyed with uh, uh, Damien, the son of Batman in the Batman animated universe. Uh, Batman Bad Blood came out, which I guess is kind of a, a loose uh, interpretation of Grant Morrison's story. Yeah, it's it's got a number of different storylines kind of combined. Yeah. It's a little bit of Battle for the Cowl. Um, it's a little bit of the Grant Morrison run, a little, a little bit, bit of, Bat- of Batwoman, <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Batwoman, a little bit of Batman Incorporated. I mean, it it, it combines all of these things um, into one hour and twenty minute long film. And so I, I was looking forward to this, like you like you mentioned, we have enjoyed the um, you know the Batman run yeah. of of films. And so, what did you think of this one? I think this is the third one. I think that the animation was superb. Uh, I was, you know, one of the things I'm super critical of is, you know, what do the fight scenes look like? Is the camera moving around in an interesting fashion? You know, what's the point of view? And the opening fight scene was amazing. I just I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, the, yeah. I also, Nightwing's first fight scene. Yeah. Well, he's and, fighting uh, Blockbuster. Yeah, and I was thrilled to see that Nightwing was represented as a pre New 52 Nightwing as opposed to a New 52. Two Nightwing, you know, he had the blue, blue, excuse me, the blue symbol instead of the red symbol. Um, oh yeah, I liked that. Um, 
I I liked all the animation, all the animation choices in this in this show. Um, I, I think the only the only thing that I don't care for in this series of uh, Batman movies is the design of Batman himself. I don't care for for the uh, cowl. Yeah, I think uh, you know to to your point on the animation, I think they really stretched that budget as far as they could. Yeah, um, I mean the the the, the there were some flaws in the animation. It's not perfect. It's, you know, it's certainly not theatrical level, but, um, they, they really had some well choreographed fight sequences. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And the action well, was extremely well done. Well, I think Jay Oliva, I think that's the director yes. has just really found his footing in, in these animated features and, you know, does a, just, just does a remarkable job on directing the action. Yeah, so I was watching with my wife, and uh, one of the things that... So she has a problem with, like, strobes when they're going on on a show. Uh-huh. Uh, but I thought it was an interesting fight technique that they did things like that where, you know, they're outnumbered, so they fire off strobes that are flashing. Oh, yeah, okay. It was it hurt her eyes pretty badly, and she had to turn away and not watch it. But it was an interesting idea that they actually did that in the animation and showed that, you know, there are, you know some of the fighting techniques to give them an advantage when they're outnumbered. Right. I, 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 again, the, the animation, the action, the choreography, all very good. Um, you know, it took me a second to figure out who, uh, heretic was, you know, cause I don't recall that being his name in the book. I could be wrong. Yeah, it was, but it was okay. Well, you know, it, I didn't read half of that story because it occurred over in the uh, Frank Quietly, uh, Grant Morrison book. Mm -hmm. And so I only came in on like the last issue or two on that. And so I'm not as familiar with that storyline. But, you know, after after about the second scene, I was like, oh, that's who he is. You know, Mm -hmm. before they got to the to the point where Talia is shows up, I was like, I think I figured out who this guy is. Yeah, Um, what surprised me and I. I'm really trying to avoid too big of a spoilers up yeah. is I expected him to be the big bad guy. Right. The way they had him set up. Yeah. And he wasn't. And that actually, you know, it was a nice when twist. he's dealt when he's dealt with. Yeah. That utterly shocked me. I didn't see it coming. One of the things that, that I love so much about these animated features is that, you know, they're essentially PG 13 and they, they do not shy away from adult topics and you know, they, they, they don't, there's not a whole lot going on. That's subliminal. It's right up there at front. For instance, uh, Batwoman's sexuality. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't shy away from that. And that is yeah. such an important part of her character. And so, so it's, it's nice to see that, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and they, uh, they have no problem killing people on screen. Right. So, Overall, I mean, yeah, not no, to, I, I don't, I, I'm not trying to cut the conversation short because I want to continue talking about it. But story wise, how did you feel about the story? My objection, uh, and it's a minor one, is that when I buy a Batman movie, I expect to see more Batman in it. Uh, and I, I appreciate that Dick Grayson is wearing the Batman suit through much of the, the feature. Um, that's not the guy I, I paid money to see be Batman. And so that that's you know you had Bruce Wayne on the sidelines too long in my opinion. That was an issue for me because it was clear in the description that was going to be the case. The whole setup in the description was that Batman is missing, and I go back to one of my favorites was Attack on Arkham, and he's barely in it. 
Yeah, I mean, it didn't bother me as much because I guess I just figured that was going to be the th- the case um, based on the you know the description. So, and like you said, Nightwing was in the Batman costume, and it wasn't just he wasn't just in the Batman costume; he was in the classic Batman costume, which I thought was really cool with the yellow symbol. Yes. So, I'm not a big fan of Batman victim, and you know, Batman's a victim in much of this this movie, and I just I'm not a big fan of that. I like I like seeing Batman be awesome. That you know, but I mean, it's minor. I mean, I enjoyed this. I thought it was fun. Uh, I, uh, I I got to tell you, at one point, uh, in, and I, and I will. Uh, this is a minor spoiler, but it is a spoiler. Um, at one point, I'm like, ah, oh, you've got Batwoman here, you got Nightwing here, you got Damian Robin here. Uh, you know, they're really missing Batgirl, and then Batgirl shows up right at the very end in yeah. her new costume, and I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I have to say. Overall, I was not a fan of the story. I love the character interactions. I love the animation. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge Nightwing fan, so this was a you know I really enjoyed a lot of the stuff with him. I thought Alfred was great. All the characters were great. I just am not a big fan of that particular story. You know the way it was done. I enjoyed it a lo- the movie a lot, but I enjoyed it because of the characters and their interaction. Not because of the plot that was going on. You know, one of my concerns when I was watching it, I'm like, wow, there is just like no time to breathe in this film. It is just go, 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 go. I mean, so many characters, so many things happening. Um, So it is I feel like it could have benefited from actually probably an additional 10, 15 minutes of just. I don't want to say padding, but character development a bit. Uh, but other than that, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, the, the the pace is very fast paced. You know, that's that's something that they don't always um, do well. Is yeah. you know sometimes they <clears throat> sometimes these films just kind of drag in the middle. And this one, no. I mean, there is there is no time to to, to slow down. There were a couple of lines that I particularly appreciated in this, and and one of them is where you know Batwoman and and. Uh, uh, Batman, Dick Grayson as Batman are having a conversation and, you know, Alfred calls and, you know, she has found out that he's Dick Grayson and she has found out that she's, uh, 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 Katie Kane. And she's like, your butler's in on this too. And he's like, he's kind of a badass. And then you get to see the scene where, uh, <laughs> Uh, Alfred is beating the crap out of a guy. I mean, yeah, and that was <laughs> and awesome. Doing, yeah, and, and he's doing it, and he's very much in that whole Marquis of Keen, Queensbury sort of, you know, very Englishman sort of fighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm just like, that is so cool. More, more Alfred beating the shit up. Yeah, I say I have never been a fan of Batwoman, but I really enjoyed her in here, and it makes me want to give her another chance. Well, you know, I got to tell you, one of the things that that I came out of this, I'm like, man, I'd, I'd just love to see a Batwoman animated feature, you know, or an animated short or something, because I just enjoyed seeing her on screen so much, because I love that character. Also, also she had ginormous boobs. I, I, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not going to judge. <laughs> Uh, people, you know, who I'm, I'm not going to ridicule people for their enormities, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I accept all types, Paul. See, now we just need the next movie to bring in, uh, Tim Drake and spoiler as well. And then we'll be set. Mm. Mm. 
So uh, the the other line that I particularly enjoyed is you know they're they're you know raiding the uh, the nunnery, and so the nuns show up and they all all of a sudden you know whip out machine guns and katanas, and Dick says so those would be nunjas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it was good stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a good film. I, I really did enjoy it. And uh, do you recall and, who wrote this one? I do not. Oh yes, uh, I think it was uh, J M D Mateus. That's right. It is J M D Mateus. I'd like to point out uh, the Batman series of movies we've been watching are just so well written. You know, they're well adapted. Um, I got to tell you, you know, Heath Corson is doing the Justice League movies, and I cannot stand the scripts on those. You know, just the dialogue is terrible. But yet they're successful, and I don't get that. I mean, they're it's successful despite how badly they're written. Yeah. And, you know, he's actually basing those on strong material from Jeff Johns. And I, I just – it blows my mind how you can how you can take such, such clean, sharp scripts and turn them into such crappy films, whereas, you know, the, the Batman films have been so strong. I want to know why we can't get nice, solid Superman films. I, I would absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Because I mean the uh, the last one I can remember I did enjoy some parts of Unbound and no, I, no. it's like I enjoy parts of <laughs> I enjoy parts of these movies but not the movies as a whole. Unbound was the one with Brainiac, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. No, that was so bad. That was bad. I <laughs> I really enjoyed Supergirl in that movie. Now, Wayne, did you see the preview for uh, uh, the new Justice League Lego movie? No, I didn't. There's a new one. Yeah, they, they had the preview on the disc. Aaron, why do you? Because the uh, <laughs> the Justice League Lego ones have been good. The uh, versus you know Justice League versus Bizarro League. I think it was, that was the first of the Justice League one was really good. This one's got Legion of Superheroes in it. Ooh, and Brainiac, which is what made me think of that. But you know, when I saw Legion of Superheroes show up on Legos, you know, one of the one of the nice things about Legends of Tomorrow is that you know they've got access to the entire continuum of uh, DC history, and I'm like, ooh, you know, we could actually see some Legion of Superheroes guys cycle into that. You know, yeah. a lightning lad or you know, bouncing boy. Yeah, I love those characters. I just don't ever like their books when their books are coming out. I completely agree. But I love the designs. <laughs> so did you guys uh, watch the trailer for Justice League versus Teen Titans? I don't think I did. Oh. I did. It looks I good. Am, uh, it looks good, but I'm still kind of torn. We'll see if it is good or not. I know but it's a I Justice League like... movie, but it's also kind of got Damien as a main character heading up the Teen Titans or the Titans or well, whatever. And it looks like Cyborg's on the Titans, not the Justice League. Yeah, oh, well, Which is where he belongs. I agree completely. It looks like Trigon has made the uh, Justice League go bad, and so the is that how goes. you pronounce that? I always pronounced him Trigon. Is he Trigon? I, I always pronounced it Trigon. Huh. Huh. That's how they announced. That's how they pronounced it on the uh, uh, the tit- Teen Titans cartoon okay. before it went really bad. <laughs> well, so what's interesting to me is that you know the the animated movies have kind of embraced the new Fifty Two elements and dc is now prepping for their rebirth so i'm wondering if that'll change the scope of the animated films maybe this is the last year where we're going to get these types of um of features with you know the, well the and that was the thing what i liked about the preview of this this didn't look like u 52 yeah. like that team titans team that that wasn't a new 52 teen titans no that's a good point so 
you know, let, let's talk a little bit about Rebirth because Bleeding Cool had one of their like day. Instead of just posting one article, they posted like thirty <laughs> in one day. You know, for the traffic of and getting people to come back. It was a whole that. day of afterbirth. <laughs> it basically was of pre-birth. Um, so a couple of the things. None of this is officially confirmed, but you know they they have their sources and they get news and stuff like that. So um, one of the things uh, that they said was that Tom King uh, will be the new Batman biweekly writer. Who Tom King? Tom King. I'm not sure I know who that is. I believe he is the current writer on Grayson. Okay. Omega Men. Uh, and he writes the Vision comic that you guys enjoy so much. Oh, I do like the Vision comic. So I, I, I can tell you, I did not care for Omega Men. No, I'm, I'm, I'm an Omega Men fan from way back, but the new version I did not care for. I don't, one of the announcements was Scott Schneider was stepping away from the main Batman book to do Detective instead. Mostly, it seems like because he didn't want to do a biweekly book. Yeah, I get that. And he's got his own creator own property. This guy's got work to do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Grayson, of course, is going to be ending as a series uh, because he'll probably be back as Nightwing. Um, I really hope so. I'll buy the book again if it goes back to Nightwing because I really love the character of Nightwing. I didn't like the idea or concept behind Grayson at all. I've been enjoying him in uh, Batman and Robin Eternal. Mm -hmm. But he's also – it doesn't feel like the – the Grayson series in that that's more of a Batman story. I've enjoyed him in uh, Titans hunt as well, but he's even back in the Nightwing costume in that at this point. Boy, I hate that book. I hate that book with everything I've got Wayne Titans hunt Titans hunt. I just can't stand it. Oh, it's not a good book. I'm just really enjoying Dick Grayson in it. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) (laughs) So there, um, and there are some titles that are ending. Uh, of course, it looks like Superman Wonder Woman will be ending, which... Uh, I hate that. That's a good book. I it is a good book. But Pete Tomasi, who is the current writer on Superman Wonder Woman, looks to be taking on the new Superman book. Um, That's, exciting. book. That's exciting. That's exciting. Because the current writing team on the Superman books, other than Superman Wonder Woman, is rather weak. I agree. Uh, and I hate to say that because I love Greg Pak, but man, he has... Uh, he has has not brought his Hulk magic over to Superman. No, and he did. Here's the thing: he started out really strong, I felt, but the mm-hmm. storyline, I don't know if it's just because it has to tie to the other book or what, just really hasn't been connecting with me since. Uh, it does seem like, from uh, what you guys have all said about Superman Wonder Woman, it really seems like it's been hampered by having to deal with what's going on in the other super books. I would say, I would agree with that. I think that there is a problem with uh, how it's had to tie into the whole Superman loses his powers thing. But, you know, I, I, I think it's fair that it's tying into that because it, it's charting Superman and Wonder Woman's relationship through all of those events. It's been such a strong book. And I, I think my, my biggest objection to seeing it go away is that, I mean, I think that really is the death knell to the Superman Wonder Woman relationship. And I just, I've, I've really enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm going to, I mean, I, I have dropped off of the book just because it's been tying into this other storyline that we were just talking about that I didn't care for. But I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing if what this new Superman book will bring under Pete Tomasi, if it's going to be. You know, our classic Superman. What are they? You know, what? Who's come, who's going to be Superman when it comes back? Yeah. Um. Apparent because there's another another book, or maybe we're going to have both because there's another book coming out called The Superman, like the Super Space Man. Um, the Superman. The Superman. Uh, 
Mm. Um, and so not no other wow. information other than the that's, title of that book. That's a horrible name. <laughs> We're going to make it differ by adding the word the. The. <laughs> the. Um, well, it's the Superman, not the Superman, if that makes uh, any sense. Uh, uh. Yeah, that won't be confusing in the marketplace at all. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, Justice Society of America will be coming back, um, apparently as an ongoing title. And the the information I'm reading um, is that it, it, it harkens back to the pre-New 52 Justice Society of America, probably inspired a lot by what's going on in Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, you know, they've been releasing teasers this week that the Sandman and uh, I think Sergeant Rock is Sergeant Rock DC. Yeah, Sergeant Rock is. is DC will be appearing in Legends of Tomorrow. That would not surprise me. Uh, it loves me some Sergeant Rock. It'd be interesting to see him on screen. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious how they'll do Sandman. And I'm yeah. I'd, I would, I would like to see the Justice. And when I'm referring to Sandman, I'm not referring to Neil Gaiman Sandman. Right. I'm referring right. to JSA Sandman. Uh, well, and they had that that image online this week of uh, Sandman's mask, mm-hmm. which is straight up out of JSA. You know, it's mm-hmm. very, very true representation, sort of reminiscent of when they had the Dr. Fate mask show up on Flash or wh- whatever show that was. But uh, uh, it looks good. I, I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I'm ex- I'm more excited about the cameos in Legends of Tomorrow than I am for Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a little behind on it. I will get caught up so that we can chat about it more next week. Yeah, I've only seen the first two episodes. So... I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of rumors. I'm assuming we'll find out more about Rebirth probably in the in the coming weeks before uh, solicitations and stuff, because I think sure. issues 52 of these of the new 52 titles will be the end of the, the, the current run on these books. But let's step away from both DC and Marvel and talk about a new release this week um, from Avatar. In fact, it's funny. Uh, most of the books I read this week were from Avatar. <laughs> um, so we talked uh, quite a bit about Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs' Providence when it first came out. And uh, we got a little behind, and it took a little break in between story arcs. Uh, I think it just took like a month or two in between or something. And uh, now issue seven has come out this week. And so, Aaron, you've gotten caught up on yes. Providence. Yes. And so I, I read issue six when it came out. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts <laughs> as of the end of issue six. Okay, so I read five, six, and seven back to back, right? Um, issue five is a story about our hero, Mr. Black, losing time. You know, he wanders into you know this small New England town as he's continuing to research his novel by digging into the secret society of cultists. Um, you know, he he's uncovering secret knowledge, even though he's not aware he's uncovering secret knowledge. Uh, he's being exposed to people who have, uh, you know, been in contact with the supernatural. In fact, in issue five. He is uh, in a town where a meteorite has crashed, you know, uh, many years ago crashed town and people are still investigating and people who have come in contact with the material have become very sick and died. Uh, You find that there is a mysterious fungus that has grown in the well where the uh, where the meteorite crashed. 
he loses about three weeks of time. Uh, he has this horrific dream, which maybe we're finding out is not a dream. Uh, and you know, the end of issue five is him getting out out of town to go stay with uh, uh, the professor that he met at the college. And <clears throat> the professor that he met at the college, like Mr. Black, is gay. Uh, and so, you know, that they, they have that in common and they, you know, this is all set pre-prohibition in, uh, the United States. And so there's that, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of talking in very non-specific terms, but they know what each other's talking about. And the professor is very interested in exploring some kind of relationship with Mr. Black, even though he's in a committed relationship with James and, uh, when he shows up at the house, you know, James is very concerned that maybe people saw him come here. You know, we have to be careful. And you really get the impression that when the professor is talking about, you know, having a sexual encounter with Mr. Black, it's something more terrible. <laughs> right. It's something I mean, it's almost like these guys are vampires or cannibals or something like that. And, you know, Mr. Black is, you know, almost a little tempted. But uh, something happens where the uh, where the couple, James and the professor, are exposed and they've got to get the hell out of town. And I gathered, Paul, and I don't know if you if you if you were thinking the same thing, mm -hmm. that they were found out that they had been in hiding from the cultists. And one of the lead cultists had figured out where they were and sent them a letter saying, hey, I know where you are and I'm coming to pay a visit. Yeah, I'd gotten something <clears throat> along I mean, those lines. It's, yeah. The thing about Providence is that nothing is spelled out. No, nothing is direct. Yeah. Everything is interpreted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> in issue six, and I should say back in issue five, let me back up because so many horrible things happen. You know, one of my complaints in the first four issues of the book is that nothing happened. It's just a big information dump. It's all Mr. Black learning about the cultists and the secret society and the different sects and the political divisions. And, and it's just, you know, you, you have this sense of dread, but with the exception of a couple of panels, nothing horrific and certainly nothing happening. So in issue five, in the period of his lost time, the, the uh, woman who is the landlady at the flop house he's staying at, at the, at the boarding house he's staying at, um, he wakes up and she's, you know, 60s, 70s years old. And he wakes up and she's naked sitting across the room and some little imp demon-like creature is suckling at her breast. And she's talking about non-Euclidean geometry, you know. And, you know, we're, we're, we're all composed of different angles. And, I mean, just all kinds of creepy talk. And he's freaking out. And, and he keeps getting up and getting dressed to leave, waking up from his dream, waking up and, and finding her in. And so, so, so it's like dream within a dream within a dream within a dream. So it's all very much in the dreaming. Mm -hmm. So we move on to issue six, which, by the way, the horror continues. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it, it is, it has just been rising and rising and I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Continue. No, no, your, no. Cause I want to hear I want to hear your description of issue six. So, you know, he, he's back in town where the college and the whole reason he's in this town to visit this college is he wants to look at the translation of essentially the Necronomicon. He wants to see the English translation translation cause he can't read the other words. And so he spends a day, reading uh, the English translation of the Necronomicon in this library. And then, you know, he, he is so unsettled by what he reads 
this girl that he has befriended on campus, little thirteen year old girl who you know highly educated, uh, you know thirteen year old girl attending college, you know in the twenties. She, she's like, you know, well, you seem really unsettled. You know, come, come with me. You can stay with me and, and you know, get out of the rain. Um, you know, and I'm as, – as a heterosexual man, under no circumstances would I go into a home of a teenage girl without their parents or something being there because, you know, no good comes of that. Someone will accuse you of something. But, you know, he's unsettled. He's gay. He's not thinking about that. So he, he goes in and as he's sitting down and kind of decompressing from the day and drinking his hot cup of tea. And the poor guy, poor Mr. Black has been through so much so far. He's, he's, you know, sharing his day with this girl who seems to be very sympathetic, except in the background, you see her taking off her clothes and she's behind him. So he's not aware of it until the last panel. He turns, he's like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, well, you know, I'm taking my clothes off so that you can have sex with me. And, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. And he gets up, grabs his, his suitcase, and he's like, I've, I've got to go. I've got to go. Well, it turns out that she's essentially demon-possessed, right? And the demon has crowded out the girl's psyche. The girl has long since been dead in terms of her soul, intelligence, personality. It's been this demon all along. And here's the – it gets so much more terrible because the demon then jumps <clears throat> into Mr. Black's body. And forces Mr. Black into the girl's body and then proceeds to rape the girl with Mr. Black in her body. And, oh, my God, Paul, this may have been the most horrible, terrible thing I have ever read. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there reading this and Paul's like, yeah, you got to get caught up on Providence. I'm interested to hear what you think. And I'm like, God damn you, Paul. This is why you must be cleansed in the sacred cleansing waters of Table Rock Lake. <laughs> And then we'll bugger the devil out of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, oh, you know, I, I was waiting for it. I mean, you, I was just waiting for it. I'm like, I'm that like, is what you were waiting for, huh? Well, you know, that's after, what you wanted out of the book. We, we've we've had quite a number of conversations about Neonomicon, the uh, the last Alan Moore uh, Cthulhu book, and uh, it it is just as horrifying. Uh, if, if not more than the sequence in this book, because it's an entire issue worth of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it's terrible. I just, it's terrible. It, it I mean, I, I'm not saying it's a it's a bad book. What I'm saying is that it's horrifying. It is legitimately horrifying. You know, horrifying on so many levels. Yeah. Like what happened to that little girl? Right. I mean, just the fact that that she has been dead for so long, and her her body has been used as a puppet. That it's housing this horrible evil right yeah and, and and right after the girl gets possessed again yeah so you know it like the, the this demon or whatever has has popped back and forth it pops into her to, to start things then into him to do the things and then into her immediately after yeah so you know you don't see i mean it, it's just a horrible horrible scene and it is yeah. i mean it is a heart it is a horrifying sequence um in 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 the horror that is portrayed yeah and i mean that goes on for so if you're possessing both bodies would that just be masturbation then (laughs) (laughs) not simultaneously that's the problem right no because the the idea is that mr black is trapped inside the girl's body and is experiencing the horror of what's happening you know i mean it's just it's just horrible I mean, it, it, it is just horrible what, what happens here. And I mean, don't get me wrong. It's very affecting. Uh, you know, you it, it really personalizes the horror here. And I loved 
you know, it's hard to say this. I loved how, you know, he flees town again, right? You know, he's running out of town. And, and the previous issue, and keep in mind, we're still on issue six here. We're not even on to issue seven. Yeah. And issue, <laughs> you know, issue six. We're not six, even done yet. Yeah. He flees the girl's home. And, you know, he's just, he's just going to run the fuck out of town. You know, holy shit. I mean, you know, how fucked up is all this? He's just going to run out of town. And he passes the guy in the Buick that, and I, I didn't share this earlier, but in the, in his dream, he kept showing up in this guy's car, right? You know, and this guy's driving. So, Hey, you know, I give you a lift to get you out of the rain, yada, yada. And so as he's running, he passes the guy he kept seeing in his dream and he's in the car. He sees himself in the car riding with the guy. And so it's still in that, you know, uh, uh, lost time story from uh, the fifth book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a very effective page, you see him stop and, I mean, just stunned at what he just saw. You know, it's deja vu. It's not deja vu because he actually sees himself because he remembers being in the car and he sees himself in the car. And it's that one panel of him just looking back at the car that is so amazing. And then you see him just kind of recenter himself and run the fuck out of town. And it's four panels of that. And it's so well done. Mm -hmm. And what, what I find amazing about the art in this book, but is this Jason Burroughs, you said? Jason Burroughs, yes. Um, what I find so amazing about the, the artwork in this book is it seems simple, Paul. It doesn't. It doesn't seem overly complex. It seems simple. It seems appropriate for the period that it's telling, but it is so crazy impactful. Uh, and and that's issue six. Um, and then we move on to issue seven. So Paul, talk to us about issue seven. So issue seven. I, actually, I prefer you talk about it because I don't know what the fuck happened at issue seven. <laughs> I mean, issue seven starts and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like the world has gone crazy. There are people getting raped and murdered in the streets. Yeah. So <laughs> Mr. Black has fled from, you know, small rural New England into the big city of Boston. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this is shortly before Prohibition. And shortly before Prohibition in uh, Boston, the policemen go on strike. And so you've got chaos in the streets. You know, you've got the, the military has come in to, to kind of set things right. Uh, you got cops just sitting back, letting shit go to hell because, you know, they're not being paid. You know, they're being paid less than, than you know, uh, unskilled workers. And, you know, the cops aren't, aren't down for that. So, you know, Mr. Black arrives in town and he is just messed the fuck up. I mean, he the, the last several books have done their number. He is just about to just lose all his marbles. And so he runs into this cop in the middle of the riot. And the cop's, you know, drinking. You know, he's an Irishman. That's what you do. And uh, the, the cop says, oh, I know the guy you're looking for. He's a painter, a uh, photographer. I'll, I'll walk you over to him. And so the cop walks him over. He meets this guy who, who's a little off. Um you know, he, he, he stutters a little bit. He's, you know, lots of ums in his conversation. Yeah. And, and so, but I'm just a brief interruption. Yeah. Um, so his name is Ronald Pittman. Yes. In, in the book. And uh, anyone who's read a lot of Lovecraft is probably familiar with the story of Pickman's model. And yeah. uh, so I believe, yeah, I don't, I, I think that's what he was trying to yes. get across here. Maybe he just couldn't use the name or whatever. So. I've noticed that he's chosen to steer away from the typical Cthulhu mythos names. Yeah. You know, he's naming some things himself, but all the Cthulhu trappings are there. So, yes, I agree. I, you know, I mean, like, he's not really called it the Necronomicon. He's not, uh, you know, 
he's not referred to the characters by name like the 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 uh, mad Arab that wrote the Necronomicon, even though the mad Arab shows shows up, you know, in the uh, flashbacks of the the text that Mister Black is reading. So yeah, he's he's creating his own thing, but he's staying out of the the public domain Cthulhu properties, right? But uh, so Ronnie, the the uh, painter photographer is says, well, you know, let me get your room. You seem really unsettled, Mr. Black. Let me get your room upstairs. I, what I'm noticing is that everybody in the, the Northeast is very accommodating and willing to give you a room, right? No matter, no matter how psychically damaged you might be, <laughs> they're all happy to take you in. As, uh, as soon as they meet you. Yeah. The minute they meet you, you look tired, you should lay down. Um, so he leaves and, and you have this sense. I mean, there's the, the scene where Ronnie is walking Mr. Black upstairs and he's looking over his shoulder towards the policeman. Mm-hmm. That panel tells me so much about what's about to happen. Yeah. You know, uh, I, so much of what's about to happen. And <laughs> so uh, he walks him upstairs and, you know, Ronnie comes back down and there's just this very – on its face, it's a fine conversation, but there there is this tone where you're just like, Ronnie's going to do something terrible to this cop. <laughs> <laughs> just, just something terrible to this cop. I'm going to come back to that. So, you know, uh, Mr. Black wakes up. He and Ronnie have this connection. And Ronnie is very much like, hey, um, not for nothing, but there's kind of some shit going on. And – uh, I think that perhaps maybe you've got a right to know. And I just think that, that you know, you, you need to understand. And, you know, I could take you, you know, downstairs and, you know, we could we could move into the dreaming. And Black isn't making the connection that when Ronnie's talking about the dreaming, Black is interpreting it as a dreaming, like my dreams or a dream. And, you know, Ronnie is talking about a whole different space, a whole different reality. And Ronnie is very much talking about the forces that are at work here are trapped in the dreaming. And it is a reality that has been subordinated to this one and that the denizens of the dreaming are very much looking to make the dreaming the dominant reality, right? That they live under this reality. And so he walks him down to the cellar and, and, you know, Mr. Black very much interprets it as, so you're putting me into a trance. This is some kind of mesmerism. And Ronnie's like, sure. Yeah. If you want to call it that, uh, though he says, it is, sure, um, if you want to call it that, because <laughs> that's how Ronnie talks. Yeah, like Sling Blade. Right, exactly. Thank you. A nice comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so he's, they go down to the cellar, and there's this very otherworldly, you know, uh, it is uh, uh, supernaturally cold down here. And he says, okay, I want you to sit here, and I don't want you to look towards the tunnel. Whatever you do, don't look towards the tunnel. Don't look behind you. Uh, stay right here. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna bring him up, and so he brings up, which I don't know what to call it. It's some kind of ghoul. However, the ghoul is like giant sized, right? Yeah, with a gigantic penis, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's an Alan Moore book. Um, and so Black has this really interesting conversation with the ghoul, 
And, you know, the ghoul's talking about how, you know, the, the riots up top have been great because, you know, we're getting to eat these guys. And, you know, when when you're in a cemetery, you're sad. But for us, that's a great time because that's like an orchard for us. I mean, he, he uses the term orchard. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 it's this fantastic. One of the things I've disliked so much about the book is how talky it is. But I feel like this is one of those places that the dialogue really works. So I think you've discovered a secret, though. The uh, how do you determine how bad a villain is in an Alan Moore book? The size of his penis. <laughs> it's how we measure it. Um, the ghoul characterizes himself as a good boy. He characterizes Ronnie as a good boy. And also he characterizes Black as a good boy. Um, he approaches Black throughout this conversation and ultimately winds up sitting right behind him. And at every time he moves a little bit closer, you see, and, and Black isn't turning to look at him, but you can see Black just about to just lose it, you know, and he's just almost about to just come apart until the ghoul gets up and, and, and turns back into, into the tunnel. So we come back upstairs, and, and Black is just very affected by this whole thing, but still refers to it as a hypnosis, mesmerism, some kind of trick that Ronnie did. Um, you know, not he still hasn't completely grasped that he was in. You know, he he was bordering into another reality. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, hey, you know, I've been I bothered you long enough. I'm going to go ahead and go. And one of the things that's important to know about Ronnie is that he. He is a photographer, takes a lot of like important people's pictures. He's an artist. He paints. And one of the things that he paints <laughs> are these horrific paintings of what's going on. So that he's showing like the police riots and whatnot. And he shows all these ghouls, you know, eating uh, people. So like uh, one of the things they talked about in, earlier in the book is a uh, 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 distillery had blown up and all the molasses in this distillery had poured out across Boston and people were literally drowning in molasses. And, you know, the ghoul refers to it as, well, you know, that was just great. That was, everything was candy. Mm-hmm. Everything was candy. And I was like, Ugh. well, one of the paintings that he's, he, he has made is the ghouls eating the people who were, you know, drowning in the molasses. And, you know, Black interprets it as some kind of political uh, painting and whatnot. So the very last page of the book is Ronnie developing his picture. And we probably should have said this. We're spoiling the hell out of these three issues of Providence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, he is developing the picture, you know, that, that he's most currently working on. You're like, oh, who, what famous person is this? Well, it's the cop from earlier in the book that walked uh, Mr. Black over to Ronnie's house. And I love this panel, Paul, because it looks like they took this picture, right? Yeah. Uh, It is the cop being murdered by the ghouls. And, I mean, it is photorealistic. I mean, I think they they actually posed people for this picture. I think so, too. I think it is an actual photo. Yeah, I think so, too. And, I mean, it is creepy and complete with dicks. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) uh, It is creepy as fuck. Uh, And, I mean, just a very affecting ending to the book. Um, It's hard to say that I love these books. Um, and I, I don't think that's the, the right word. I appreciate these books. 
Um, they are certainly creepy as all get out. I, I'm, I, I've said it before about Providence. I, I think that when it's collected all together, when we have all these issues uh, finally together, all 12 issues, and it's very much you know beginning, middle, and end, and pacing and what all, uh, I think that it will be a much more effective read. Um, I got more out of it reading these three issues back-to-back than I did reading the prior four on a monthly basis. I would agree. Yeah. So, Paul, tell me what you thought about issue seven. You said you, you, you didn't know what the hell was going on. Well, that's why I appreciate the uh, the summary. I don't know. I, I I think I just had a hard time, like, understanding the, the – because – and here's the thing. I, I usually do in my media, like if I'm watching <laughs> a TV show or a movie, I do get subtleties. It is so often in comic books that things are written in an unsubtle manner. Everything has to be spelled out. Sure. Everything has to be portrayed. Um, you know, they don't let even a great artist, um, a great storyteller. You know, there, it, there's not it, the, the stories that are being told in the typical books that I read, comic books that I sh- read, I should say. They don't have to be subtle because they're action based. You know, I'm looking at the books I read this week: Mercury, Heat, Providence, Doctor Strange, and Invincible Iron Man. You know, last week was Superman, Lois and Clark, Star Wars, Kanan, you know, Ghostbusters International. You know, these are these are books not known for subtlety or, you know, not even needing subtlety. So when a comic book like this where nothing is truly spelled out for you, you know, that he, he wants you to put in the extra effort to 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 get that that level of complexity that he's going for. Um yeah, I, for me, I, I feel like I almost need to read it twice because yeah, well, it's just such an, a different comic book experience. Yeah, no, I'm, I absolutely agree. I, and I think that Alan Moore does expect that of you, you mm-hmm. know, to to apply yourself. I think he also expects that you are familiar with the genre. Yes. I don't think I don't think you get near as much out of this if you're not familiar with Lovecraft. I agree. You know, um, I, I think that someone approaching this as a Lovecraft newbie doesn't get probably half of what's on the page. And I find myself looking for Easter eggs. Right. There are I mean, probably a thousand in this one issue. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can spend a whole lot of time going, OK, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I guarantee online there's a website dedicated to Providence Easter eggs or yeah. uh, annotations, Providence annotations. Well, I, I, it is. It is exceptionally well crafted, um, and as horrible as as uh, uh, Ronnie is, I kind of liked Ronnie. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I I mean, because he's he is empathetic. You know, he 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 realizes that Mister Black is screwed, and he doesn't want Mister Black being an unwitting victim. He wants him to know what's about to happen to him, yes. right? Um, and yeah, one of the things that that we did not share is that there is a prophecy about uh, uh, the scribe, you know, who will come and 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 whatnot, and it very clearly refers to Mister Black. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of oh, you know, of just kind of putting together that that symbolism that it Mister Black is the guy that they're talking about. Um, so he's he's screwed. I mean, yeah. there is this is this is a Lovecraft story. He is go he is screwed. There will be no happy ending for this guy, right? Um, you know, we, we, you can, you know, that whatever lies at the end of the story, it's doom yeah, for, <laughs> for Mr. Mr. Black. Black. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting how we're getting there. And the, the horror is, the horror is just ramping up and it's getting more and more terrible issue over issue. So, uh, I, sadly I'm in, 
<laughs> you know, I'll be picking up the rest of this series, but good night, Paul. Yeah, so I am on board for the rest of Providence. I know, you know, we I've been wishy-washy in between issues, but now oh, that yeah. you know, now that the story has picked up, um, I look forward to to finding out where it goes, and uh, I, I I am actually looking forward to when it's all complete, rereading it as one one piece. Yeah. Well, and at some point I'll read all that back matter that I've been ignoring. Yeah, it'll take me about three years to get through this uh, through these, these twelve issues. Well, it's a ton of back matter. What you know, sadly, you know, I bought it all single issue digitally. Um, you know, I'm sure that when it's collected, all the back matter will be together, and I think that's probably the way to read that. I don't know because you know uh, Alan Moore with the Watchmen back matter, it's inserted in between the issues because it has to do with what you've seen in that issue yeah so curious to see where it goes um but providence it is hard to recommend in that you know much like neonomicon in that it is it is a horrifying effective read but um if you are a cthulhu fan you really do owe it to yourself because there is no other comic book like this out there yeah no completely agree you know and uh you know sticking with the horror genre but from a completely different angle you know, we talked about Doctor Strange issues one through four last week, and now issue five is out. Uh, same creative team, Jason Aaron and Chris Bacalo, as we start the second arc of the book. And so, Aaron, you know, you really enjoyed the first four issues. Curious to hear what you thought of issue five. I loved issue five. And, you know, we now see what's going to uh, draw the rift between uh, Doctor Strange and Wong. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I, I fully expect that Doctor Strange is not going to be okay with this. No. Yeah. So what we discover in this issue is that, you know, Doctor Strange, we have learned throughout this series that magic takes its toll. And, uh, you know, the, unlike in previous Doctor Strange's books, I mean, Jonathan Hickman hinted at it a little bit, but this is, you really see, at one point, Doctor Strange comes back without any eyes from a battle. Um, every punch comes with a cost. And so, you know, Wong feeds him some dinner, sticks him in bed, Doctor Strange wakes up, feels great. Everything's all healed. And what you find out is that Wong in the Himalayas has a, uh, a group of people known as the D- Secret Disciples of Strange that basically inherit, in, inherit all of the bad things that happen to Doctor Strange. Yeah, it's like, he, it's like there's some kind of transfer empathy occurring. So mm-hmm. every time uh, Strange incurs one of these psychic wounds, you know, like you know, the bleeding eyes. Mm-hmm. Instead of it, instead of Strange having the bleeding eyes, that wound transfers to one or more of his unknown disciples. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's this whole, it's this whole cadre of guys that are that are essentially his battery, right? Yep. It's it's his psychic supernatural battery fueling his abilities. And it's horrible. <laughs> it's it's terrible what's happening to these guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're all doing it willingly. They've all committed themselves to this. Wong has mobilized this movement. But, you know, he knows that that Stephen won't approve of it, which is why he's done it in secret. Yes. I, it's a great idea. It is. I, it is a great it, idea. And it's I've wanted a Doctor Strange book that I've enjoyed for years. It has yeah. been – I don't know about you, Aaron, but it's probably been a good – and you liked The Pact – um, if I remember correctly, the, uh, what's, what's the, the, pack? the, the Dr. Strange book, the pact, I think it was called. Um, it's not ringing a bell. Yeah. Um, but I haven't liked a Dr. Strange series 
in a long, long, long time. And I've, I've, oh, I'm sorry, The Oath is what it's called. It's the Doctor Strange book that I'm referring to, The Oath, written by Brian K. Vaughn. Um, but I didn't like it. And it's I not liked... ringing a bell, so oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, but I haven't liked the Doctor Strange book in a long time, and I am so happy that not only do we have a Doctor Strange book, it is a fantastic Doctor Strange book. Yeah, it is super good. It is super good. I, 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 and, I, and I like, you know, a lot of times when guys write Doctor Strange, he's a guy who, you know, throws mystic bolts, mm-hmm. and they're, they're indistinguishable from Tony Stark's Repulsor Race, right? Other than him doing, and now the Crimson Bands of Ciderac, you know. Mm. Uh, we started getting some of the cool stuff about Doctor Strange when Bendis was writing him, when he'd be quoting, you know, pages from the Book of the Vashanti, right? Uh, and then Hickman continued some of that. I mean, I think Hickman made Doctor Strange super cool in his book. You know, you've had this yeah. this kind of, you know, you had you had uh, Brian Michael Bendis kind of scoop up the great mashed potatoes. Yeah. And then you had you had uh, Hickman throw some butter on them, right? <laughs> and then you've got Jason Aaron's just pouring on the fucking gravy. And I mean, it, it there really has been this cumulative awesome. <laughs> That's been built with these three writers, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I dig that because the last time I enjoyed the, the the last memorable, I mean, I may have enjoyed this oath thing you're talking about, but damned if I can remember it. Um, but the last thing that I remember, well, Aaron, you certainly didn't give it a uh, mashed potatoes and gravy metaphor, <laughs> <laughs> and damn you if you didn't make me hungry. <laughs> so uh, I, I, the the last time I can recall digging a Doctor Strange book so much that I wanted to go back and read it again was the stuff that Paul Smith did back, what, I want to say the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Right? Uh, I, I, that's the last time, you know, you had Clea, you had Dormammu, you had all this kind of cool stuff, uh, and it felt authentic, you know? And you, you, you had, you had uh, Doctor Strange doing all these kind of crazy mystical things. But even so, as much as I enjoyed that, this blows the doors off. This is so far and away and above anything that I really expected, right? I yeah. mean, this is this is the the I knew I wanted a cool Doctor Strange book, but I didn't know what the recipe was, right? Jason Aaron's does. Jason Aaron's is a chef. He knows what the fuck he's cooking, and it's great. It's, it's gravy. Great. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's gravy. He has deglazed that pan. Mm. <laughs> Also out from Marvel Comics this week was <laughs> the uh, the uh, the French fry of the uh, I don't I don't even know uh, so Spider Man number one Miles Morales is in the six one six now uh, Aaron Wayne you guys read this book I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts um, I, I've never been a Miles Morales fan I know you guys have and have followed him in the Ultimate Universe so uh, what were your thoughts on on him his book now I have been talking an awful lot so I'm going to let Wayne take this one. All right, so my biggest disappointment in this book so far is that I can already tell this is going to tie in heavily with the all-new Avengers title that I think was horrible and I don't read. Uh, One of the strengths of Miles was his supporting cast, and thankfully a lot of them did come over. Uh, That was one of the big things I was looking for to see who was going to be here. His father's here. He's been given back his mother. His uh, friend Genki's here. And we found out that Bombshell has been moved over too. And I read an interview with uh, Bendis, and he said, like, 
one of the reasons he wanted to bring her over is because she doesn't have a counterpart in the regular you know marvel universe and he tried to bring over more characters like that so we should end up seeing more characters he specifically did say in the interview that there are more characters out there that have come over that we'll see over time but i was very disappointed with this book I was go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't. I I thought you were done. Go ahead. Sorry. Everything that Miles did so well in his own book, he's failing at here. He's not balancing school and the Spider-Man thing. He's running out on class to go do the Spider-Man thing. He's fighting a villain that is just utterly beyond him. You know, Mephisto's child, Blackheart, and. One of the things that's been annoying me is I really like the differences in Miles' powers. I always have. But his Venom Blast, they're making it far too convenient. It's just this blast can take out anything. And here he it disrupts the nervous system of a demon child. That was a little over the top for me. It's like this thing has just fought and taken out the all-new Avengers. Which, yeah, a lot of them are the B-list, but... You've got Thor on there. This thing took out Thor, yet Miles just took this thing out. Yeah. And uh, I so overall, I was pretty disappointed. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, Wayne. Uh, I was intensely disappointed with this book. Um, my first objection from the first time we see Miles outside of the Spider-Man suit is that they've aged him up. He is, you know, you, you had the sense that he was 12, 13, you know, in the ultimate book. Right. And then Uh, they did age him in the ultimate book between volumes. Yes. But not this much. Yeah. And he is, he is clearly, I want to, I want to say I've got a sense that he's maybe 16, 17 years old. He could be 15, but one of the big changes with that is they've made him highly sexual. Um, I'm not interested in that. Um, he, uh, I, I liked, I liked the innocence of him being a younger boy thinking that, you know, I like girls. I just don't know necessarily what to do with them. Well, you know, he is... I loved his relationship with Katie Bishop. Yeah. Um, In uh, the Ultimate Universe. I liked how in in the Ultimate book, he and Genki were, I mean, they were really kind of just these two kids, and I... I, I Kids playing superhero and sidekick, right? Um, That's not the case here. I mean, they they are, they, they both are punk teenagers, um, you know, Miles fashions himself a playa. Um, I, I, I don't like this character. Um, yeah, and all of his back talk to like teachers and uh-huh. things. That's what? not Miles. Right. Well, it's certainly a teenager. I get that. I mean, there, there is a difference between the person you are when you're 12 versus the person you are when you're 16. And generally the person you are when you're 16 probably should be smothered. But, <laughs> uh, I, I, this is the story I'm not. But we didn't see him grow into that. No, we did not. Problem. And all if, of his emotion, if it would have been gradual, but it was overnight. All of his emotional weight has been stripped from him. You know, he, we got to see, as opposed to his uncle Ben dying in the first issue, we got to meet his mom. We got to know his mom. We got to like his mom, and then his mom is murdered. Right. Um, and so we get to feel that loss. We get to see. 
the rift that happens between he and his father, and we get to see he and his father put that back together, which gave Miles a fantastic, rich, strong backstory. All of that stripped away. Well, and here's the thing. What I want to see, Miles remembers everything. Yeah. You know, Bendis has said in an interview, Miles, because of where he was during the Secret War storyline, he has full memory of his world in the Ultimate Universe. He has memory of everything that happened. He remembers his mother dying, and now he has his mother back. We didn't, because they did the six-month jump, we didn't see any of that at all. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Bendis is saving that for flashbacks later on. However, he's going to have to share them without me. I'm out. I'm done with this one. Yeah, I'm really on the fence. I want... I want to like the book because of how much I like Miles. Yeah. And it has been just writing. But just based on this one issue, I I think I'm out too. Yeah, it was – it is everything that I'm not interested about. Because let me tell you what they've done to him is they've turned him into Peter Parker. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, you know, if I want to read Peter Parker, I'll just go read a, a Peter Parker Spider-Man book. What I want is Miles Morales. You know, I, I, what I don't understand what, what Marvel has, did and what they do. This is something they do, is that they'll say, we want a young character in this role. We want, you know, a, a, a preteen boy in this role as Superman. That's the story we want to explore. And then they'll age him up, you know. And so the next thing you know, he's going to be married, and then they'll have to kill off his wife or reset him again. And I'm, I'm just so frustrated that we had such a, a – really a short amount of time with Miles in his own universe, in his own story. And I – and they've, all that's been wiped away. This is the problem with this reboot. He didn't need to be rebooted. Yeah, I mean, and I was so happy to see they brought over his supporting cast. Yeah, I was happy I was to thinking see. that that meant that the book could still be really good. Yeah. But they're not treating him as the same character. It doesn't have that same voice. Well, and that's what made him truly unique. His, power, his different powers were part of what made him unique but it was more his character and his voice yeah. he was not just another peter parker no no he was very much his own guy and very interesting in in that respect and i'm not interested yeah. at all in this character yeah i don't want to see the struggle of uh, of his grades and all that because he was an incredibly he was an intelligent kid that was managing unlike peter he was able to keep that balance between school and uh being spider-man yep and he's suddenly completely lost that. Yep. So disappoint. It was a very disappointing book. But you know, I gotta say, I, I'm glad that it clearly told me what it was because I know I don't want it, and I will not pick up another issue up. But so, Paul, what's yeah. coming out next week? Next week from Marvel Comics, we have new issues of Totally Awesome Hulk. Um, also, Darth Vader, all new X Men, and all new Wolverine. From DC Comics, we get the new issue of Batman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, we've really enjoyed that series, so looking forward to that. And, uh, of course, other titles from other uh, publishers as well. So we'll see what comes out next week, and check back here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And don't forget about our Darth Vader giveaway, Paul. What? Our Darth Vader giveaway. You're giving away Darth Vader. Still? Aren't you? I am. <laughs> so go to ideologyofmadness.com or leave us a voicemail at, at nine. Se- I'm sorry. <laughs> at at nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. That number once again is nine seven two seven six three five nine zero three. 
And if your voicemail is chosen at random, or your comment is chosen at random, you'll be uh, you could win a copy of Darth Vader Volume One from Marvel Comics. Woohoo! Very exciting. Very exciting. All right, guys. Uh, maybe Tim will be back next week, or well, all new Wolverine comes out next week. So there's a good chance we'll see Tim. So maybe we'll have Tim, or maybe some other random angry person. I, my vote, random angry person. <laughs> Have a good week. Bye, guys. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.